Matthew chapter 27, and I want to refresh with you what we studied a few weeks ago now, a couple weeks ago. In verse number 45, we, we find the Passion Week coming to its culmination at the cross. Um, Jesus is here suffering at the hands of the Roman soldiers by the desire of the Jewish people according to the foreknown predestined plan of his Father, as Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he cried, it is finished. He cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He gave his life. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Notice the words of the centurion in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Go to your right. If you're new to your Bible, you head to your right. You'll find Philippians tucked in between Ephesians and Colossians, Paul's letters near the end of your Bible. Philippians chapter 1, and let's read verse number 18 down through verse number 21. Paul here is making an argument, talking about the supremacy of the message of the cross, talking about the different attitudes and motives behind those who are preaching the gospel. Notice Paul's words in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here are these famous words from the Apostle Paul, the testimony of those who have rightly understood the the impact of the cross. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is profit, is gain. Father, help us now as we study Your Word to be moved freshly by the message of the cross. Bring Your truth to bear upon us. May the implications of the cross, the effects of the cross, have their full work in us this morning. May your Spirit grant us understanding, conviction, and fruit for the glory of your name we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Well, this morning is going to be unique to our study here at Grace Church of God's Word. Um, Our normal pattern is to take the very next paragraph and to study the next paragraph and the next paragraph and the next paragraph. And we are near the end of our study of Matthew, and we're going to come back to the burial and resurrection of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, in just a few weeks. But this morning, I want to make sure that we come back and we take kind of a, a sword drill approach that's... That's Christian ease. Uh, for those of you who have not grown up around the church, a sword drill approach to the implications of the cross. Uh, we're going to go from passage to passage to passage. Your fingers will get a workout. You'll get to places in your Bible that perhaps you haven't been to in quite some time. When it comes to life experiences, there is a common phrase that's used about any number of life experiences. And no doubt you and I use this phrase at different times in our lives. We say something along the lines of this event or this circumstance or this situation changed my life. My life will never be the same because this event took place. Perhaps it was when she said, I will marry you. Or when she came through with that statement and said, I do, before the crowd of witnesses and the officiant for the wedding. Maybe it was the the birth of your first child. Perhaps it was a tragic accident that took place either to you or to those that you love. Perhaps it was coming into some kind of wealth that was unexpected. I was going to say hit the lottery, but that would open up a whole can of worms that we just can't cover this morning. Perhaps it was hearing the doctor say the word cancer. Perhaps it was Pearl Harbor or JFK's assassination, or 9-11, or some other grand event of your life that, that in the moment of that event and following in the moments after that event, you were aware that you and your life would never be the same. No doubt we are not the same because of the circumstances that we've experienced in life. And you all have come with as many circumstances of life as there are people sitting here in the little theater at Kingsburg High. And you all are shaped and molded by the circumstances of your life. But there is one, there is only one, primary, life-changing, life-altering, course-directing thing in life. There are events that do change your life forever, but there is only one event that completely alters the life of every single individual that encounters and is affected by that event. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ. Our study of the Passion Week in Matthew chapter 27 has been moving for me, and I know for many of you, as you've testified, God has given you a fresh appreciation for the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross the life that was given in perfect obedience and righteousness as a substitute who died bearing the full wrath for your sin and for my sin as God's people. My goal this morning is to make sure that we don't leave that freshness. We don't don't walk away from the, the movement of the Spirit as we've studied the Passion without letting the full implications of the cross come to bear upon us. The cross should not merely affect us when we sing of glorying in our Redeemer. The cross should not merely affect us when we're reminded of it through the elements of the bread and the wine that are enjoyed together in communion. 
The implications of the cross must have a continual, ongoing effect in us if we are to fulfill the cross's purpose according to the plan of God. We have said over and over again as we've studied Matthew chapter 26 and 27 that the cross of Jesus Christ is at the center of human history. Therefore, it must be at the center of my existence. It is the, it's the centerpiece of God's redemptive plan. Genesis begins looking for the cross. Revelation ends anticipating the return of Christ because of the cross. The cross is everything to your Bible. It is either building toward the cross or it is reflecting upon the cross. And therefore, for our lives to be unaffected on a daily basis by the cross is for us to live outside of God's intention for us as His people. The cross of Jesus Christ, if there's one big idea for our broad study this morning, it's this. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that always changes everything forever for everyone who bows before it. Now, I was taught as a, a debate student, as someone who grew up in, a, in, a, in a, um, an attorney's home. I, I have a dad who has an attorney's mind who is a pastor, but taught me to argue. And then in debate and in argument structures, using such encompassing terms is a dangerous thing to do. Using broad generalities is a poor argument technique because it is rarely true that something always happens. It is rarely true that something happens for everyone. It is rarely a good argument to use general terms that encompass some activity. But brothers and sisters, the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that always changes everything forever for everyone who bows before it. So perhaps you're here this morning and you have no relationship to the cross of Jesus Christ. You know about it. You know of it. It has had no effect upon your life. Understand this. It changes everything for you to be impacted by the cross. Perhaps you've come here saying, I do have a relationship to God through the cross of Jesus Christ, but I am unaffected even today. Or I am struggling to be affected by the cross. I trust this morning there will be a fresh sense of the implication of the, of the effect that the cross is intended to have upon us. There are four life-altering effects that I want to focus on this morning with you that flow directly from the cross. Now this cannot be exhaustive. We could spend months unpacking every passage that deals with the cross and its implications upon us. The death of Christ and its place in our existence. But this morning we'll try to synthesize and we'll examine four life-altering effects of the cross of Jesus Christ for every one of Christ's followers. Four life-altering effects and we'll move through Paul's work in his letters. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, your Bible's divided up, your New Testament is divided up into pretty basic sections. You have the Gospels and Acts, which are history accounts. They're about the life of Christ and the beginning of the church. You have the Gospel and Acts, you have Paul's letters, and then you have the general letters. So you have Paul's work, which is in the middle of your New Testament, and then you have the general letters that follow after that and carry the rest of the New Testament writers' um, impact upon on the New Testament canon. So we'll use Paul's letters as the basis for our study of these four life-altering consequences of the cross. 
Number one, the cross redefines our first thing. The cross redefines, for all who are impacted by it, it redefines our first thing. Make your way to 1 Corinthians, the 1 Corinthian letter, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you'll have to continue to turn, and if you get behind, don't give up. Uh, There'll be another one coming soon, and uh, I'll try to let the pages stop rattling before I start reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find that the cross redefines our first thing, or the thing of first importance as Paul states it in these verses. Verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul will unpack the significance of the resurrected life of Christ. And we've studied this before on Resurrection Sunday. Verse number 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, notice this, as of first importance, What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. The Apostle Paul boils down the most important aspect of life and doctrine for the people of God to the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he begins the most important thing with one first thing. And that is the death of Christ for our sins. There can only be one first thing of your life. There can only be one most important thing of your existence. And as God's people, we are to be consumed with a new first thing. I don't know your circumstances well enough across the board. I know some of them well. Uh, better than others, but I don't know all of your circumstances enough to know what your first thing has been prior to the application of the cross to your life. But no doubt there is a myriad of expressions of the most important thing in your life. Paul says here, what is of most importance, what is first in its importance for the Christian is the cross of Jesus Christ, which makes way for the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, which is the very hope and security of the faith of the believers. For us as followers of Jesus, there is to only be one first thing in our lives. And it is to center around the cross of Jesus. Turn just a few pages to have this confirmed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just a few pages over to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, these are familiar words. In fact, we've read them recently in our study times in Matthew. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 5 and verse number 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, here's the purpose, so that... Notice this, verse 15, so that those who live, that is who live in Him, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the cross completely alters. It, it redefines the first thing, the most important thing. It, it establishes something new as the priority of our existence. The cross alters our life course and it alters every life course 
that it comes into contact with. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 that he's crucified with Christ. The cross of Christ was the death of Paul as an end in and of himself. The cross of Christ was the death of, of Adam as, as, as an end in of myself. And now the life I live, I live in Christ. I, I have a new identity. I have a, a new first thing. I have a new most important feature of my existence. And it is all traced back to the cross. So it's appropriate, I think, for us to ask, what is of first importance to us? What is it that you get fired up about without even having to try to get fired up? Do we dare ask the people closest to us, what is it that I'm most excited about? Perhaps asking a coworker at lunch this week, what do you think is most important to me in life? And then buckle your seatbelt for the answer. Or perhaps it's your spouse. In this home, what would, what would you say is, is the first thing of my existence in this family? Fathers, what is it that catches you as a passionate individual without any effort? What is the cause for which you are most concerned? What is the cause for which we are giving our lives freely? We all have a first thing. And for us who are in Christ, the cross is to be the the new first thing. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, just a few verses later. There is a new first importance. Maybe it's appropriate to think about that first thing in light of our local church. Flip over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2 and notice... Notice the effects that this first thing, the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, and the consequent resurrection of Christ, notice the effect that this has on us as a local church. We are supposed to be very different as a, as a gathering excuse me, of people because of the cross. Notice what happens in verse number 16. We'll start in verse number 14. We'll catch up to verse 16. For He Himself, that is Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one, that is Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, verse 16 says, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Now, that might seem like heavy theological jargon. That might seem like a a deep sentence from the Apostle Paul, but boiling that down, spending the time necessary to understand it, what Paul says is the cross of Jesus Christ eliminates disunity and division, bigotry within the new people of Christ. The Ephesians were, were very aware of the division between Jews and Gentiles. And it was a hard transition for the Jews and for the Gentiles to be a part of the church. Paul here doesn't tell them some, some good steps to getting along better. He doesn't give them helpful practical tips to getting along with different kinds of people. He tells them theology. He says the cross of Jesus Christ did away with the division, therefore live your life in light of the first thing. 
If the cross is at the center of our existence, if the cross is at the center of our local church, then division over diversity must end because the cross becomes the centerpiece of all of our unity. So brothers and sisters, listen, if you have thought of the church, the local assembly, even Grace Church, as a place where you hope everybody sees everything the way you see it, and when you found people that don't see things the way you see it, you found yourself very vindicated in separating yourself from those people. Understand clearly from Ephesians and the Apostle Paul's writing, the thing, the one thing that is the unifying feature of the body of Christ is the cross of Jesus Christ. So when you meet someone who's three age brackets away from you, what possibly are you going to have in common as a basis of unity and fellowship? The cross of Jesus Christ. When you meet someone who's made the opposite schooling decision as your family. What could you ever find in common to have fellowship together? The cross of Jesus Christ. When you meet someone who has a political view and they they happen to voice that political view around you and you feel the hair on your neck stand up because of how convinced you are of your political position. What could ever bring you together with that individual within the local church. The cross of Jesus Christ. What if you meet someone within the local church who has an accent that betrays that they're not originally from this country? How could you ever relate to them? How could you ever be benefited by ministry from them to you and you ministering to them? How could that ever happen? You come from different cultures. Isn't that enough to to, to just divide you? Don't we just have a special church for those people? No. We have a cross that unifies us. What if you meet someone who makes three times as much money, or at least you assume they do, than you do, and you recognize a social division between you and them? Maybe they're a boss and you're a worker, or they're a worker and you're a boss. How could you ever relate to each other in mutual fellowship and ministry? The cross. It's the new first thing. It's the identifying feature. You are not, you are, you are not no longer as a follower of Christ defined by whatever it was that you were defined before. So, perhaps we need a vocabulary change. I'm a follower of Christ who has been radically altered by the Gospel. The cross of Christ has changed everything for me. And because I am now a Christian, I am now a Christian father, Christian worker, Christian employer. I'm a Christian American citizen. Christian is the defining feature. And every Christian who I come in contact with, and especially the ones that I've gathered with for accountability, for following Christ together in the local assembly, we certainly must champion this cross as our unifying cry. If anything else becomes our first, the unity within our local assembly is torn apart. So consider carefully, brothers and sisters, what is the first thing of your identity even in this church? Because our unity is at stake. We will conveniently ignore people in the local church unless we are actively pursuing the cross as the basis of our unity. I'm going to step off the soapbox and uh, move forward. Let's talk about your home. Let's talk about my home. And let's focus our attention specifically on 
us men, fathers, husbands, is the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ of first importance in your home? Is it the first thing in your relationship to your wife? Is it the first thing in your relationship to your children? If you were to ask your children, what is dad most excited about in life? What would the answer be? Honey, talk to me. What is it that consumes me? What is it that is the passion of my existence? What's the first thing? I know there's a lot of things. Maybe you're like me and and it's just jump from one to the other and be excited about multiple things. But what's the first thing? What's the most important thing? Man, if it's not the cross and the impact of the cross upon our existence, then we will be failing our calling according to the gospel and walking in a worthy manner. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever. You have no relationship to God through Christ. In fact, this is all utter silliness to you. Why would people live with the centerpiece of their existence being some ancient execution device where somebody who is just another man died a couple thousand years ago and people claim that he then rose from the dead? Why would you do that? Well, we as a Christian church would not expect for this to make sense. And that really leads us to the second life-altering effect of the cross of Jesus Christ. The first is it redefines our first thing, but the second life-altering effect is that the cross redefines wisdom and folly and power. Wisdom and foolishness and power get new definitions because of the cross. So perhaps you are confused by this allegiance to the cross or this commitment to the cross or this excitement about the cross only explained in that the cross redefines what wisdom is and what foolishness is and what power looks like. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So move there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. No doubt familiar to some of you and necessary for all of us. Paul here makes a case for This foolish message. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly, or it's silliness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There is a redefinition that the cross works in us about what is wise, what is foolish, and what is powerful. What is wise to us who have received the impact of the cross, who have placed our faith and confidence in the Son of God who died at the cross and who was raised three days later, for those of us who are sinful people, rescued from our sin by this cross, Wisdom now 
is the plan of God in crushing His own Son as a replacement, as a substitute for us as sinners. And for God to look upon His Son's perfect obedience and to credit that to our accounts so that we might stand righteous, without guilt, without sin before God. What was before an evidence of weakness? Someone who allowed themselves to be nailed to a piece of wood. Someone who died in humiliation, nakedness, and beaten to the point of not being recognized as a human being. What is weak in every other way was the strength of God saving sinners. It was the power of God on display. Jesus, in the sacrifice of His life, was not weak. He was strong. He was obeying even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The message of the cross, the declaration of the cross as a saving, justifying, that means making righteous, loving work of God for us, is foolishness to all who are unaffected by the cross. So perhaps you're wondering, why is it that when I share the message of the cross, I just I keep getting a response from individuals that is almost like they're, they're mocking me with their... They're listening. That is the normal response to the cross. To the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block because the Messiah who died there cannot be the Messiah to the Jewish blind, sinful heart. And it is foolishness to the Greeks because it has no nobility, no honor, no conquering victory involved. But yet it does. And the mystery of the plan of God, the cross, redefines for us wisdom and foolishness and power. In other words, our minds ought to be working counterculturally when it comes to the cross. So, let me ask you a few questions. Do you find yourself viewing wisdom as trusting yourself? Do you proudly say, I don't trust anyone but me? That is not countercultural, that is living in the culture and under the sway that's conforming to the culture. Wisdom, according to the cross, is there is none to trust but Christ. Foolishness, according to the cross, is, is, is trusting in anything other than the perfect Lamb of God who is sacrificed. And yet foolishness in the world is trusting some Messiah who died thousands of years ago that you've never seen at a, at, at a Roman crucifixion. And power is found in, in those who get their own way, who aggressively conquer all who are in their path. And yet power at the cross is the sacrifice of life. It's the giving of one's life for his enemies. So the cross redefines our worldview. Wisdom, foolishness, power are all defined for the believer by the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that always changes everything forever for anyone who bows before it. We have a different set of priorities. We have a new first thing. We have a new worldview. We see wisdom, foolishness, and power through the cross. Thirdly, the cross redefines the sinner in his standing. The re. The the cross redefines the sinner's standing before God or the sinner in his standing. Let's go to the letter to the Colossian church to see this. Colossians chapter 2, one of my favorite portions of of the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2. Let's read together Paul's words here, speaking of the new standing that the believers have. 
because of the cross. Verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. The cross redefines our standing. And Colossians chapter 2 reminds us that it was at the cross where everything changed for us who are in Christ. There was something nailed to the cross that completely altered the course of our lives in Christ. It was the record of debt. Notice verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Perhaps it's most convenient to think of this as the sin mortgage. There was an insurmountable debt placed upon our lives because of the sins that we had committed against the law of God. Our Creator, God of heaven, is without sin. He cannot tolerate sin in His presence. And we have a deep, deep debt of sin. So not only does that debt need to be paid up to where we're equal, but then we need righteousness to go beyond that debt so that we can stand in the presence of God. And Jesus at the cross redefined our standing by taking that record of our debt and nailing it to the cross. He blotted out the mortgage. We can appreciate the idea of a mortgage being blotted out in earthly terms. But when we grasp the spiritual implication of a sin debt being removed, we are forever altered. There is no way to go on with life as if nothing has happened, claiming to be a follower of Christ without this one grand cross coming to bear upon us in every way. Guilt is gone. Sin and self are conquered at the cross. Legalism, the effort of our own cause working out our righteousness before God, is defeated. This is the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. This defines our standing. Let's see Paul describe this in little different terms. That's the mortgage terminology. Go back to, just a few pages back to your left, to Philippians chapter 3. And notice the way he describes it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Paul now is commending the the Christians at Philippi to live in light of the cross, in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul says here that there are enemies and friends in relationship to the cross. So this morning, we are defined by the cross. And those of us who are in Christ have a redefined 
standing before God. Every single person here this morning is defined by the relationship to the cross. You are either an enemy of the cross or you are a friend of the cross. And therefore you are either an enemy of God or you are a friend of God through the work of His Son at that cross. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We just stop and realize the standing change that takes place when we are affected by the cross. We will never receive condemnation from God for any sin. God could not love you any more than He loves you right now because He loves you with a perfect love that is set on His Son. You are covered in Christ. If in fact you have been impacted by the cross, the cross has eliminated your record of debt. There is no debt. If you are working your way out of a debt that doesn't exist, you are a fool. Stop working your way out of a debt that has been paid at the cross. There is no guilt left for those who are covered by the blood of that cross. There is only loving discipline from your Father. Does He care about sin in the lives of His people? Yes. Because the cost that is paid for that sin is invaluable. Therefore, we receive loving discipline from Him, but we never receive condemnation. Our standing is forever altered. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that always changes everything forever for everyone who bows before it. It changes our first thing. It changes our worldview. It changes our standing. It redefines us. Do you see this? I, I just don't want to leave the cross before we, we're, we're confronted and made accountable for what the cross is intended to accomplish in us. Because I'm concerned that we're very normal looking people in our culture. It's hard to pick us out of a crowd as the Christian people. And that's because the cross is not coming to bear upon us as it's intended to. If we look a whole lot like the world in which we live, don't be deceived into thinking that's anything less than a theological problem. The cross changes everything. Fourthly, the cross redefines our perspective. It redefines our perspective Notice Philippians chapter 2, so we're already in Philippians chapter 3. Just turn back a page to Philippians chapter 2 and be reminded of a familiar portion of your Bible, but I trust it will have fresh power in our lives this morning. The cross redefines our standing and then our perspective, the lens through which we see life. Verse number 1 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And we think, wow, that's, that's really practical information for us as a church family. And it is. But there's a basis, there's a foundation upon which that house is built. And it comes in the next verse, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death. Notice these words, even death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, the cross is the reference point for how you serve and love and live within the body of Christ. Let me say that again. The cross is the reference point to how well we are living life within the body of Christ. So we're called to humility within the body of Christ. We're called to loving one another, to patiently bearing with one another, to forgiving one another, to serving, giving our lives up to help one another, to speaking truth to one another. All of these one another commands find their basis in the cross. You say, well, how much service is too much service? The cross is the point of reference. Oh, well, how much humility is too much humility? The cross is the point of reference. How much love is too much love? I mean, at what point are you just kind of going overboard with this loving one another thing? The cross is the point of reference. See, we love to make something else the point of reference because it always gets us off the hook. But when the cross of Jesus Christ and what was happening when the Son of God laid down His life, cried out, it is finished, and yielded up His Spirit, what was taking place there is the point of reference for who we are. We're so selfish because the cross is not at its proper place. We're so reluctant to serve one another because the cross is not at its proper place. We are so quick to bite at each other and to refuse forgiveness toward one another because the cross is not the appropriate point of reference. The cross of Christ, the selfless obedience and service of Christ ought to be so obvious in our midst that people ask, why do you live the way you live with the Christians in your local assembly? And the answer is the cross. Because you'll never believe what God has done in my life. Oh, I know it doesn't make any sense who my friends are, who my, who my closest comrades in life, who the, who the people that mean the most to me are. I know it just doesn't make sense. I know it's a, it's a crazy, wild, kind of nuts looking group of people. I understand. You just don't understand what God has done. God has given His own Son and that Son has taken my sin upon Himself and sacrificially died in my place. And He's granted me His righteousness. That cross of Jesus has changed everything. And the consequent resurrection has given me a new life. The cross is the basis of membership within the local church. It is. Because at the cross, we were defined by the cross. So if you're in Christ, it is only appropriate that we would quickly find the others who are in Christ. And we would be accountable to them. We would covenant with them. We would submit unto the, the delegated leadership there. And we would, be, we would be counted in. Membership coming directly after baptism. Baptism being the public affirmation of being someone who's been impacted by the cross. So baptism and membership are not some man-made entities. They're not creations. These are natural overflows of the work of the gospel in our lives. We want to be accounted for with the believers in our local region. And we want to be active in, in, in ministering to one another. 
And we're trained for that ministry. We're equipped for that ministry by the shepherds that serve under the chief shepherd in that place. Secondly, the cross is the basis of service to one another. Now, I'm aware that I'm right there on the brink of meddling into an uncomfortable place. But we, we really do, I mean, we really need to focus our attention as a church family on whether or not we are serving one another. Maybe if we change the word, as uh, John MacArthur has helpfully done in the new book called Slave that many of you have received, are we slaving for one another at Grace Church? Is that an accurate description of your existence and my existence within this local family? Are we slaving for one another? If so, are there identifiable ways that you could, you could present as your slavery to one another? Joyful slavery? Or are we just spectators? Are we merely the judges of what happens on the Lord's day? So many of you are examples to me of slaving for one another. And I commend you to excel still more because of the centerpiece of the cross. For some, there is concern that perhaps you have never understood the the, the implications of the cross because selfishness and the cross do not go together. If it's affected us, it makes us joyful in submission to one another and active in serving one another. Those who have the cross at the center of their lives get a service opportunity sheet and jump into service because it's an opportunity to slave for the body. They hear of something. They check on it. They hear of a prayer request. They're praying for it. They're giving themselves for the sake of one another. This is our life and it's all been accomplished because of the cross. The cross changes everything for everyone who has been impacted by it. So what do we do with this study this morning? How do we take this and boil this down to where we, we can appropriately respond to these various passages that speak about the cross in our lives? Number one, unbeliever, our desire this morning is not for you to be outside of us, but rather for you to be brought in to an understanding, a saving understanding of the cross. Do you see the wonder of what was happening there? It was not just another execution a long time ago. It was not just another another death of an innocent man in a human sense. Rather, it was God Himself in human form giving His life in the place of sinners just like you and providing the opportunity for forgiveness through His death and then righteousness through faith given to you, freely given to you. So that your Creator God, in the day of your judgment, as you stand before Him, will not look at your sin debt, but will look at the sacrifice of His Son in your place. And will not look at your righteousness measure to see if He allows you in. He will look at the perfect obedience of His Son to His law. Whether you have called yourself a Christian or not, if you have never bowed before the cross, turning away from your own sin, from your own pursuit of righteousness, and believing what you cannot see, the truth of the Son of God dying at the cross in your place, being raised on the third day so that you have victory over death and eternal life, do so today. The call is now. Surrender your life. Turn from your own way and follow Christ. The death of Christ did not end at the cross 
He was victorious three days later for all who believe. There is victory over death and sin. Now secondly, for believers, as we finish, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go one more passage. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's notice not just the influence or the redefining work of the cross, but the enduring the enduring fuel that the cross is for us in our Christian lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, the saints who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, okay, so there are people around us that are motivational, but... When we're running, what do we look at? What do we look at while we're running? When we're, when we're pursuing the, the redefining work of the cross this week. Okay, Tuesday's here. What do we look at? Verse number 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured for sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the the cross is intended to be life-altering in its effect upon us. And it is the cross that also is the basis of us enduring in that life-altering walk of faith. So brothers and sisters in Christ, look to Jesus who was at the cross. Look to the Savior who died upon the cross that alters your life always and forever. There is hope at the cross. There is strength at the cross. There is endurance provided at the cross. Daily application of the cross will be necessary for endurance in the cross. Do you live defeated? Do you live totally conformed to the world around you? something like a chameleon who has become what you're living in, the cross rescues you from that and provides the strength and endurance needed. It's the Savior who is there giving His life at the cross who stands now in verse number 3 as the one who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. Why? Because He looked by faith and saw what was coming in the future. So look to Him who died at the cross, despising the shame, bearing the agony of it, and is now seated at the right hand of His Father. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that always changes everything for everyone who bows before it. As we move from this, we move into studies of the Gospel and its effect upon our daily lives. For the next three weeks, we'll focus on the Gospel's effect upon us. These are critical studies for us because for most of us, the gospel was the starting place. The cross was the beginning. And though it wasn't stated likely this way, the cross began the work and then we kept it going until the Lord returns and finishes it. But in reality, the cross began the work, the cross sustains the work, and the cross is the basis of the finish of the work. The cross is everything. The passion of Christ is everything. And it alters every component of our lives. It is a new first thing and only thing that defines us. It is the new basis upon which we measure wisdom 
and foolishness and power. It is the, the, the life-altering and radical change that God works through the cross that brings us to the place where we now stand before Him, not as condemned sinners, but as justified sons and daughters. And it completely alters our perspective of our lives as human beings. We are not living for our rights. We are living as slaves of Christ for the sake of His body and His kingdom work. This is all the work of the cross, the power of the cross, the glory of the cross. Father, thank You for this cross, the cross of Your Son, whose exaltation was accomplished through His faithful suffering. He despised the shame. He embraced the pain and the suffering of the cross. And now is seated at Your right hand. And that defining moment in history, those defining hours, are to be the very centerpiece of our existence. May we live in the Gospel truth of the cross. May it be our consuming passion. May it be the the definer of wisdom and foolishness and power. May may it be the basis of, of our standing. May we cling to the cross where we've received forgiveness and the cancellation of our debt. And may it provide for us a perspective. May it change the norm of our culture so that we see our lives as, as, as willing sacrifices in service, in slavery to Christ and to one another. Inform us through the cross. Challenge us because of the cross. And may all this be for the exaltation of Your Son who died at the cross. May He be lifted high through our lives this week as a church family so that Your name would be glorified as sinful people like us live with forgiveness through that cross to the glory of Your name. We pray these things in the name of the One who gave His life there, who was three days later raised from the dead in victory. The name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.